Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, happy new year. Welcome along. It is a brand new writer's routine. This week, we're chatting to Rosie Nixon, who is busy. She is Hello Magazine's editor-in-chief. She's just published her third book, Just Between Friends. It's all about lies that break free from a baby group. Now, we talk about how and why she escapes to write, uh, why she waited a while before getting started on her debut, and also what being the editor of a national media brand has taught her about writing novels. Well, yeah, as well as sort of being disciplined in my writing, it's made me very sort of aware of my audience, probably. I mean, at Hello, we know exactly who our core audience is and we produce the magazine with, you know, content that is going to interest them and entertain them on a weekly basis. So I think with my writing, I've been very conscious of, understanding who my audience what might be and um and producing a title that you know w- would really satisfy their appetite for reading there is more on the way with rosie nixon in this week's writer's routine Yes, welcome along. This is Writer's Routine, where we take a look through the working day of a successful writer. My name's Dan Simpson. Thank you for finding us. Happy New Year. Uh, I mean, it's the first time that we've we've spoken in in 2021, so I think I I can still get away with saying that. Uh, If you're in the UK, uh, where I am, if you've been plunged into another lockdown, I hope you are safe, I hope you're well, and that you've got a big pile of books to hunker down with over the next couple of months. Now, here's something that can keep you busy and entertained through lockdown, because this week's episode of the show uh, is supported by Script Sirens. It's a female and non-binary scriptwriting group from the West Midlands of the UK. And I'm a huge fan of people getting together to write and to tell stories. It's an amazing way, isn't it, to share ideas, to create a community uh, in any way that you can, even remotely. And, And I think over the last couple of years, we've really needed that community more than ever. Now, their founder, Scarlett Kefford, was nominated for an RTS Award uh, for Breakthrough last year, and they've just released their brilliant new horror series. It's called Siren Screams. It's a six-parter, nice bite-sized episodes, and they're well worth your time. Some of them are absolutely terrifying. Each episode has its own story. Some of them are absolutely terrifying. It's amazing what they can do in like 10 minutes. Uh, They're all written by the script sirens with unforgettable vocal performances from a whole range of West Midlands-based actors. Now, the names of the episodes in Siren Screams, they just sum up the twisted tone of horror in the plays. You've got burn and rage... Scream to go faster, miscarriage of justice, third time's the charm, you sound nice and perfect. If you're into horror, if you like a scary story, I really do urge you to have a listen to these. There's six, the longest they are in 20 minutes, so so you don't need too much time to crack through them all. Now, I work in radio and podcasts, I listen to a lot of audio, uh, and these plays are fantastically written beautifully acted and brilliantly produced as well they're all by the amazing female and non-binary script writing group the script sirens uh, you can find siren screams the new audio series on spotify acast and google podcasts as well now do us a favor when you finish this episode 
have a listen to some of the Siren Screams series and start 2021 by helping out our writing community and getting into a little bit of winter horror with Siren Screams by the Script Sirens Writing Group. Right, let's get to this week's guest on the show. Rosie Nixon is the editor-in-chief of Hello Magazine. If you're not from the UK, if you've never heard of it, it's kind of an institution over here. It's like the magazine that does celeb and royal news, like human interest stories, that kind of stuff. They're the ones that do all the the famous weddings. That's Hello. And being the editor uh, of the whole magazine and the brand, that is big responsibility. It means Rosie is incredibly busy. And while doing all of that, she's managed to publish her third book. She started with The Stylist, and then it was Amber Green Takes Manhattan. And her new novel is Just Between Friends. It's all about Lucy and Aisha, who are both pregnant in the same baby group. And it's all about the lie that breaks free and causes destruction. We talk about how Rosie fits it all in and why she likes to escape to write. You can also hear about the different documents that she has open at the same time that she works and pours over for ages. And whether being a deadline driven journalist helps her write her novels. Uh, It's all on the way. It's a brilliant episode, I think. A really great start to 2021. Let's get into it with Rosie Nixon uh, and what she sees around her in the place where she sits down to write. Okay, well, right now I'm actually in my home office, which is in my bedroom at the top of our house in South London. Um, And I am kind of based here most days working at Hello and did a bit of my writing here as well on my novel. So I can look out into the garden to my right. Uh, It's a very sort of London back garden view, really, of terraced houses and lots of gardens all packed in. Um, Yes, that's it. So you're on your desk and you must spend a lot of your time there. What with what with Hello, what with various interviews at the moment, what with your actual writing? What have you got there around you that kind of keeps you sane and gives you inspiration for the project that you're working on? Right. Well, I always have a bit of a ritual with a candle and writing, um, especially if I'm going away to write, although I have got one here in my bedroom too. And it's a Joe Loves Candle, which is the brand um, set up by Joe Malone, CBE, who is a good friend of mine. Um, And I get very sort of... Um, kind of concerned if I've forgotten to bring it with me. And I think, oh, my goodness, you know, the, the ambience isn't perfect and the words are not going to flow if I don't have my Joe Loves candle. Um, so I guess I'm slightly superstitious about that. Um, and, yeah, no, I try to keep things pretty tidy as well, which is not always easy at home. So I do have face challenges with writing at home because of course you know you're constantly distracted by needing to tidy things up and do things around the house so my my ideal scenario is to kind of cocoon myself in a lovely hotel room where I feel all cozy and everything's immaculate so I don't need to be tidying anything and I've got my candle and I can sit down at a clear desk with my laptop and a clear head and that's my sort of dream writing position now that is extraordinarily luxurious it is my husband says the same how come you need to go to five star spa hotel to write Rosie and I just say well the words just won't flow unless I'm there at what point in your stint writing um like is there a point through the novel when you're a few thousand words in when you think you know what I just I just need to get away Yeah, well, I think because I combine my writing with a full time job, obviously, I'm editor in chief at Hello, have been here for 13 years. So it's a very intense full time job um, that it's hard to sort of get yourself um, a, a clear head to think about the novel that I'm writing. But I love writing. It's my passion. I feel that I have to have it in my life. And um, so I tend to take myself off on these writing trips to get the words down. Um, obviously, I have, I have two young children as well. So life is very busy. So there's nothing better for me than actually having that opportunity to get away and to purely focus and lose myself in, in the, the narrative of the story I'm writing. If I were to walk into your study where you are now, or maybe your hotel room when you are locked away, would I have any clues to 
what you're writing about. Uh, I'm talking post-it notes on the walls. I'm talking like a mind map on some form of pin board. Probably not, um, unless you sort of went through my laptop, um, which maybe you would. Um, <laughs> I, I tend to have a number of documents open on my laptop and I flit between those. So I'll, I'll have one in which I write down the rough synopsis of the whole story. Um, <clears throat> and then another, which is kind of writing in progress. So that will be when I have a particular idea for um, a scenario that's happening in the book or, or often I write the end of the book before I've you know even got anywhere near to the first quarter of it. Um, and I might write those chunks of text in my writing in progress document. And then I will have my master manuscript document. <clears throat> and that starts at the beginning and goes to the end. Um, so it's always a very satisfying feeling when I can copy and paste a big chunk from my work writing in progress document and put it into the main manuscript, knowing that, you know, I had that bit already worked out and now it slots in perfectly. Um, or I'll just write in that in that writing in progress, just, you know, words that I'm keen to use, kind of bits of description um maybe bits of conversation that characters might have um so just things that are, inspire me about about writing at any given time um so i suppose i do that rather than covering walls in post it notes and, and other diagrams so probably so that i've got it you know safe and can be transported around with me aside from the candle the you know the needed candle is there anything else that just helps you kind of get the words down you know a cup of coffee at a certain times some yeah. music that you like to listen to yes I always take my sort of bag of tea bags I have to have peppermint tea and chamomile tea with me so I don't drink too much coffee I don't have music on when I write actually although music tends to be on in my house and you know around all the time otherwise but I do find it a distraction if I'm writing and I tend to write particularly well really late in the evening um, so, which is another reason why I tend to go away and ensconce myself somewhere to get the words down, because I find that the emails stop coming in once we get into the evening. And then again, I can have a clear head. It's all about really, yeah, clearing my mind and having the space to really immerse myself in my creative writing. Um, yeah, and slippers, preferably nice hotel slippers. <laughs> Well, the day starts pretty early, normally by a child sort of jumping on my bed at about half past six um, or in the middle of the night, as happened last night. So I will try not to sort of sound too sleepy in this interview. They're still pretty young. I've got a five year old and a six year old. So the mornings and nights can still be slightly unpredictable. So woken up with a start um, and then we're up and running. Um, I try to do some form of exercise in the morning. So my husband and I might take it in turns um, either to go for a run or to do a Zoom class, as I'm doing at the moment, because I find that I am sat at my desk for you know much of the rest of the day, the working day. So I'd like to get some exercise in. Um, and then we'll do the school drop, um, drop off the kids at about 20 to 9. And then I'm back at my desk catching up on emails and the day ahead, ready to hold the conference with our editorial team, at, which takes place at 10 o'clock every day. So I try to join that whenever I can, because obviously it's a great time for us all to see each other now that we're not in the office, to catch up on the stories of the day and start planning the issue for the magazine. Um, talk, talk about the big stories, who's doing what, getting layouts going and working on the flat plan of the magazine along with the editor of the weekly mag. So um, we're, we're sort of straight in with that news conference. And then generally I'm in back-to-back -back Zoom meetings for most of the rest of the day. Um, and I'm working on sort of strategy for our brand, uh, working closely with our commercial team as well as our digital teams on new initiatives. I'm especially involved in initiatives to take um, Hello off the page because um, obviously we now uh, think of ourselves as a media brand. We operate, you know, across platform and we like to engage with our audience by, you know, lots of different means. So I hosted, for example, a kindness summit for us on World Kindness Day, um, which was just the week before last. And that was a, a day long digital event. So that was really sort of my baby. So I'm very involved in coming up with concepts like that and then hosting them. 
Um, I'm working at the moment on our Star Women Awards, which is a, an initiative that we will run a virtual event the first week of December, celebrating some inspirational women um, and their incredible achievements this year in what has been obviously a very challenging year. So some interesting stories are coming out of that. So I'm busy pulling that together. So it's a busy day of nonstop meetings. Um, and if we weren't in lockdown, I would probably go into the office maybe once or twice a week um, to catch up with members of the team in there. Um, in, in the normal world, which we might get back to at some point next year, I'd be in the office four days a week um, because I'm a, you know, I'm a journalist and I like to get out and about and see people. Um, I'm really missing that contact with people at the moment. Um, or I'll be out lunching various contacts and going to events and ordinarily I'd be out sort of two or three times a week at, at events. Um, and then if I'm writing a novel as well, I will try to fit in probably in the evening some reading of where I'm up to with the latest book and in anticipation of building up to the next time that I can get away for a few nights. And that's when I really put the words down. Um, so, yeah, so back to my day, it sort of ends at around 630 um, when the kids are home from school, though the nice thing about working from home is that I can pop down and see them when they're back from school. We have a nanny that will pick them up and entertain them here after school. But I like popping down and having a quick cuddle on the landing or a quick game of something with them, which is really nice. You know, the fact we've got to see each other so much more during the day. Um, and then it's bedtime for the kids around half past seven. And I do bedtime and stories every single evening. Um, along with my husband and then we'll attempt to cook something for ourselves or do something very quick um, and then a bit of uh, TV watching ideally I'm obsessed with the undoing at the moment which is on Sky Atlantic you're watching your telly is is there any room in your day uh, do you do any writing of the novel on a regular day or is it just when you're escaping it's, it's pretty much when I'm escaping. If I'm going to do any novel writing during the day, it, that would be at a weekend or perhaps late at night. Um, there just isn't the headspace with my full-time job. Um, but if so, I tend to be, it's kind of feast or famine the way that I write, really. It's nothing for about a month or so. And then I might get my two nights or three nights away and I'll write 10,000 words. But I'll build up to that trip um, in the evenings by reading where I'm up to, thinking. I mean, I think for a novelist, you know, it's, it is about the thinking time as much as the writing. And that's certainly true for me, you know, really building that strong picture of your characters in your mind. And then I'll be almost desperate to get away for those days so that I can put it all down because it's all up there in my head. How do you find your energy kind of working on a day when you are in the hotel because on a, on a normal other day you're doing like 50,000 different things like little tasks that are keeping you going then when you've got a, a whole day to yourself faced with just you and your story how are you uh, getting down uh, just getting to it and just cracking through all the words yeah well I love it I mean that really is my happy place and my escapism so I look forward to that day so much and then I'll put on my comfies and my hotel slippers in the room, light my candle first thing in the morning. I might go to the hotel gym or something for half an hour right early on. So that, that kind of sets me up as well. And then I sit down at a desk in the room and I'm just in my element. And that's pure heaven to me. How, how much work do you tend to do on a day when you are in the hotel you're in your element writing how many how many hours do you get through in a day how many words do you like to get down okay I'll take the odd break obviously because um you know your eyes start to sort of glaze go a bit square after a while but I'll I will get down easily in about 48 hours or 72 hours I could do sort of 10,000 words yeah, if I'm on a roll but I mean some some breaks I might go away just to kind of rework something I've done it depends where I'm at in the writing process often I get loads and loads of words down early on but then obviously I'll go back and fine-tune those and change them and chop around bits um, so obviously I'll get less done as, as time goes on and I'm more into that particular book. Because you your writing routine is forced to be in these like little snatches when you are able to go to, to get away how 
thoroughly planned is it uh, on a, on a yearly basis like if you know if you've got to uh, get your work in if, if the deadline is november say do you know exactly like kind of what words you need to have hit by certain months when you're planning to get away yeah i mean like most writers i get totally obsessed with the word count um and obviously things have to be scheduled in because i have got a young family and a husband that's busy with his work too so we need to very sort of carefully plan when that's going to be possible um and obviously around my work at hello but it's it's not too much of a juggle. Yeah, we've always managed to get it done. And I think being a journalist, I am quite deadline driven. So I think publishers probably quite like journalists because I, I don't really miss deadlines. I'm kind of like, I have to hit them. You know, I'm used to being driven by deadlines on a sometimes daily or sometimes hourly basis, certainly a weekly um, deadline at hello. So I'm very used to kind of making things work and going that extra mile and pulling a very late night if I need to to get it done right at the end but I've always been quite a late night writer yeah I remember even when I was at university years ago I'd kind of get my dissertations done all by working through a night and then having fun going off duty and (laughs) the party the whole of the next day yeah Well, yeah, as well as sort of being disciplined in my writing, it's made me very sort of aware of my audience, probably. I mean, at Hello, we know exactly who our core audience is and we produce the magazine with, you know, content that is going to interest them and entertain them on a weekly basis. So I think with my writing, I've been very conscious of understanding who my audience might be and um and producing a title that you know w- would really satisfy their appetite for reading um and i suppose i used actually a huge amount of my experience as a journalist to write my first novel the stylist um which is very much sort of set it's set during awards season um so between los angeles and london during the golden globes the baftas and the oscars and it's about a stylist and a girl who gets a job assisting this big stylist and it's about what happens behind the scenes and how the stakes are so high in looking and uh, an amazing turn on the red carpet can make a star's career or break their career and actually fashion is an alternative economy in Hollywood that's just as important to the stars as winning that coveted award um, so I had done a lot of the research for this book during the course of my roles at various glossy women's magazines and covering these big events and you know trailing Mr Armani I remember one one year sort of the day before the Oscars in his atelier and um, so I saw the whole process so I think my experience as a journalist absolutely led me to write that first novel which was really my first step on the ladder at being um, a novelist. Um, So I'm lucky in that I have a, a job that helps me to meet lots of people and I think as a journalist you've got to have a a huge interest in people and wanting to know their stories and being fascinated by their lives and what has made them the the person that they are and and that similarly as a novelist you have to know all of that background of your characters for them to be truly believable and for your for your readers to be invested in them so that sort of thirst for knowledge about people, I think, has really helped um, with the type of, no- of books that I write. Nice. I like that a lot. Um, if you, you said earlier on how much you love, you love writing and you love storytelling. Um, why, with the, with the stylist, when you started writing that, why did you wait till then to start writing it? Why was that? Why was that the moment that you thought, okay, now I'm all right to try and to to, to write a debut novel? Yeah, well, it's funny, isn't it? I guess when I first started writing, thinking of writing a novel, which is something I've always wanted to do, really, since I was very young, um, I sort of thought, oh, to be a novelist, you have to write about something that's kind of obscure and super clever and a bit different and not what people might expect of you which is kind of quite a naive and sort of immature way to think, I now realise. So I tried to sort of set myself up as maybe I could be like a Neil Gaiman type writer and do something a bit sci-fi. And um, I had this idea that was very sort of whimsical, but really it wasn't the real me. 
Um, and it actually took my agent, um, who is actually my sister-in-law. So because we are related, I think she felt she could be brutally honest and tell me the truth. And she said to me, look, Rosie, I'm just not sure that this idea is is re- is it really you? Do you think you'll be able to complete this as a book? Is it maybe a short story idea rather than a whole novel? And she really hit the nail on the head. And I thought, actually, yes, I'm just trying to be too clever here. And it's not my natural genre. And she said, you know, is there an area that feels more comfortable to you? And actually, between us, we came up with the idea for the stylist. And as soon as we hit upon that, you know, my eyes lit up, everything was sort of firing and I just thought oh gosh yes this is this is me and I'm not going to be afraid of writing about a world that I know to start with I mean many authors do that um, in the for the first book and you shouldn't shy away from that and actually all the experience that I had was so you know it's intrinsic and absolutely tied in with writing that novel um, so yeah, I think um, finding sort of your natural voice and what really gets you excited because something's got to drive you to write a novel. It's not an easy thing to do and it's a big commitment. Um, so you've got to really love it and live it and breathe it and not be able to get it out of your head. And when I started writing The Stylist, that's how I felt. I literally couldn't stop. I was writing it in the notes section on my iPhone, on the tube, on the way to work. Um so I, I feel like I had to come to that point to realise that to just actually go with, you know, the, the the idea that was most natural to me and stop trying to be sort of too clever or to do something a bit different. So it took me a while to sort of get to that point, I think, to have the confidence to think, actually, yeah, I'm just going to do this and be really proud of it. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Script Sirens presents Siren Screams. A six-part horror anthology series performed as audio plays. These hair-raising tales are not for the faint-hearted. You have been warned. Burn while reciting the following text. Omnis incursio infernalis adversari. Are, are you okay? Hey, my God, um, I'm, I'm calling an ambulance. Life for life, life for life, life for life, life for life. I wonder what this bit is. Oh no, my dress. You visit the empty and the dark and the abandoned and the old because they do not scare you. Everything else does. I think you'll like it here. Now you can listen to that, uh, the new audio series Siren Screams by the Script Sirens. Uh, It's on Spotify, Acast and Google Podcasts as well. And a big thank you to them for supporting the show for the next couple of weeks. You can sponsor us as well, by the way. If you've got a book out and if it's big release was kind of dampened by 2020 and all that. Uh, We can help you out. We can give it 
the push, the promo that he deserves uh, on the show, you need to sign up to get involved over at Patreon. Just a dollar or so a month, it really helps us out. You can get the big sponsorship, you can even get some merch as well, and every pledge gets our undying love and utter thanks. I've got a few free slots in Feb if you do want to sponsor the show, so get to Patreon to make that happen. You need to help us, just support us with a dollar or so every month, not a lot, just a a coffee or, or a pint that you can't go out to drink. It's over at patreon.com forward slash writer's routine. Let's get back into it then with Rosie Nixon, Hello Magazine's editor-in-chief and author who has just published her third novel, Just Between Friends. In this half, we talk about her characters, how she gets to know them, what tricks she uses to get to know them better. Also, she talks about what she does with the editing, how she goes about it, whether great chunks ever need to be changed at the end. And we pick things up, actually, talking about her first book, The Stylist, and why that stayed with her for a while, and why she couldn't let the character go. Well, when I finished writing The Stylist, I kind of couldn't get my central character out of my head. She was still sort of there, um, and I knew that I had to pick up her story again, Um, But I think whilst the stylist for me was very much about the environment that it was set in, perhaps it was a bit more of a, in a way, like a magazine article type book, because it was a lot about, um, yeah, the the whole kind of red carpet circuit, the award season circuit um, and the sort of facts of that world. But I had fleshed out and got to know my characters in such detail by the end of writing the stylist that the second book is much more about her and her life and her relationships and perhaps more character led rather than led by the environment and the world that it was set in. Um, And certainly I probably, I had more confidence to do that because I had one book under my belt that had been quite successful that I felt like actually, yeah, people were buying into Amber and I had lots of, yeah, in the reviews, people seemed to really warm to her. She's quite a funny character, um, but she's very down to earth, even though she was in this crazily glamorous world. She sort of never loses her head, really. Um, And people were really warming to her personality. So it was really great to have the confidence to go for that a bit more in the second book. And then, of course, the third book is much more of a relationships-based book. Well, let's talk about that then. The new novel is Just Between Friends. Tell us about the moment where the idea for the story first came into your head. How did it present itself to you? Yeah, well, I mean, it did present itself to me when I attended a baby group when I had my first son. So the book is set in a London baby group, like an NCT group that you often attend when you're having a first child, where a group of couples all meet each other Really, the only thing they've got in common is that their due date is around the same time for their first child. And I remember when I went into this baby group with my husband feeling slightly sort of awkward and like, oh, cringing. Why are we actually doing this anyway? <laughs> and uh, and there were these kind of pairs of eyes look at you and you feel immediately judged and you've all got to sort of make friends. And you realize that these are people that you're probably going to get to know quite well. And you do very quickly. Um, but I was sat there and we had quite a funny course leader who, you know, we were making us sort of snigger at the sort of embarrassing body function she was talking about and I just thought this would be such a fun premise for a novel you know could you imagine if there was a big secret between some of the women that were two of the women that were in there and you know what that could do to you know the the whole dynamic of the group but also you know their own lives and then what happens next Rosie so what happens between that moment where you've got the first idea and then when you actually start writing that very first sentence, how are you uh, figuring out what else is going on in this story? Yes, well, I started, so I kind of had that idea in the back of my head, but at the time I was actually finishing off, I think I just finished The Stylist and I was starting to write the second book, the Amber Green book. So I probably put down some notes, I think, at that time, just to remind myself. And I very diligently kept all of my baby group notes, um, thinking that obviously I needed to refer to them for the serious matter of actually having a baby, um, but also so that I would have the this kind of pile of research that I thought could probably might be useful down the line if I started writing this book. 
So it was kind of there in the back of my head, but parked for a couple of years whilst the next book came out. And obviously I was busy with having young children. I had a second baby quite soon after the first. Um, so there was a kind of busy baby um, days. Um, and then and then when my publishers said that they were, I, I, I showed the idea to my agent, yeah, and then the publisher, and, and they really liked that idea. And I was initially going to write a third Amber Green book. And they said, well, what about doing the baby group? It was called the baby group, actually, as a working title. What about doing the baby group book first and then and then going back to Amber Green? So I initially sort of feeling quite daunted by that because obviously I had my character Amber pretty nailed by then. Um, so it was going back to the beginning of um, developing characters. But I, the idea had never sort of left me. I still loved it some sort of three years later. So, yeah. So then when I knew there was genuine interest from the publishers, I started to flesh out the story and it started to take on more of a kind of thriller um, form than a book as light, quite as lighthearted as my um, as the two that I'd pre written previously. But I wanted it to be a very real portrayal as well of what it is to have a baby. So really covering the gritty moments, the moments when you feel that you're not sure who you are anymore, slightly lost, and how relationships change. I wanted it to be really real because I felt that I hadn't really read any books myself that really told it exactly like it was. Um, so, yeah, so I, again, I suppose I was able to use all of that experience of being, you know, a mum and it, all of those um, experiences were still very fresh in my mind. How much do you need to know about a story before you before you write it? How much generally have you got it figured out? I know right at the start you said sometimes you've even written the ending before you kind of begin. Um, how much of the complete picture do you tend to know? Yeah, I don't like to have the complete picture worked out because I think your characters do start to take you on a journey as you get to know them in greater detail through that writing process. They almost start writing themselves. And I think you have to be open to that and not be too rigid to a strict synopsis that, and that's where you're going to go with it. I think you have to be open, like when you're doing an interview with somebody as well, I suppose, as a journalist, you have to, you might have your list of questions, but then you also have to be open and flexible to where the conversation is going. And if somebody's opening up to you about something that wasn't on your list, well, then let them go for it because that could be your big exclusive. And so I think it's similar with the um, novel writing process to have that fluidity. And that's the exciting thing for me about novel writing as well, thinking, um, you know, where your characters are going to take you, but that obviously you hold all the cards that, you know, you, you ultimately decide what gets put down on paper and, and what will make it into the final cut. But yeah, I try not to be too rigid, although often I do get a sense of how it might end, but I might not know exactly how I'm going to get there. So I, I do tend to write as well the bit that I feel like writing as well. So often I sometimes just feel like writing um, something that might happen quite near the end um, because it's that's where my mind is on that day and it's flowing well so I'll get it down. How does that work though if you're if you don't know the whole thing so maybe you're you know on, on chapter 10 but then suddenly chapter 20 comes into your mind but then how do you go about forcing the connection between the two mm, well I might not know that that's chapter 20 but I'll just think gosh this could be a scenario that'd be really interesting for that character to go through um so I might put it down I mean it might not necessarily make it into the final book but it it will all sort of help build that character anyway um so it's all kind of been useful um as an exercise um yeah, but at the, certainly at the ending of this book, I did have an idea that obviously it would be over about a year's period of time from when they all meet at the baby group. And then at the ending, I, I kind of knew that I had to have them all back together again for some reason um, to draw it all together after they've been on this incredible journey. Um, and so, you know, I, I started to think of this idea of what it could be that would bring them back together. Um, so I started to flesh that out, although obviously I didn't have all of the detail of the exact conversation that might take place there. But it was just setting that scene 
that I had it in my head. And it's quite a comforting feeling, I think, as a writer to know that, oh, I am going to finish this book because I've written this end bit and I can sort of visualise it. And that gives boost your confidence. Um, and yeah, and sort of help to help me keeps me going, I suppose. Yeah, when you're, um, yeah, when you're sort of somewhere in the middle. And they start to sort of come clear to you. Um, I, I certainly had some challenges in this book because it's told in alternating chapters between two women. So it was very important that I had a, enough of a distinction between them, but that they weren't so different that it would be inconceivable that they'd become friends quickly because they do kind of gravitate to each other from the beginning and quickly develop a really strong friendship. So it was making their voices distinct enough so that you knew very easily that you were in the Lucy or the Aisha chapter. Um, but actually, you know, there are similarities with them too. So that took a bit of working out because I wanted them both to be sort of likeable characters as well. I didn't want one to be sort of seen as more villainous than the other one, the one that might um, you might feel more sympathy for. So I wanted them both to be likeable. So that was quite took a while to sort of get their voices exactly right we spoke earlier on about with hello how you know exactly who you're writing for and, and who, who that brand is pitched at um how are you making sure when you're writing a novel when you're writing just between friends that it is relatable for the audience for the readers who you want to attract i'm i'm, I'm, I'm talking about tone and voice and the language that you're using? Mm. Well, I think not being um, sort of afraid of what the book is. Um, it was actually Adele Parks, who's a good friend of mine, who sort of said to me when I was discussing this book with her and how we were going to pitch it, and I was a bit worried about it being too sort of a, a book that only new mums might be interested to read because it does go into such detail about that time of their life. And she said, well, why are you afraid of that? That's absolutely... A, a, a really strong quality of the book and that is a huge market and if that is your audience grab that audience and totally go for it with them you know um and so I think that probably is you know a strong audience for the book although I think it would be enjoyed with anybody regardless um because there are so many issues within the book all to do with relationships friendships you know um life um so I think and obviously I'd sort of developed a, a lovely audience with the first two books and and have a very sort of responsive audience which is great who have been really engaged with me on social media with my books and so I knew that they'd probably be interested in reading this book as well um so and and I think language wise I've just written I'm used to obviously writing in a tone that is commercial because I've always worked in women's magazines so I've always spoken to women that at a similar life stage to me really so I guess I was writing a book for myself um, knowing that I am pretty much that that sort of target audience. Now uh, you, you just said something there which has sparked something with your conversation with um, with Adele who uh, uh, has actually been on the show and it's about pitching um, and you said that there is a big market there. She told you that there's a big market there. Do you think that you, um, having built the brand of Hello, and do you think you, you, you think more about the business side of writing a novel than perhaps someone else would? Not really, because I think it is my passion. And certainly I've always felt that I just have to have writing in my life. I love it. And it is my happy place. And I don't get to do that so much in my day job. And I am a writer, a journalist at heart. Um, so I think first and foremost for me is wanting to create something because I just love doing it so much. And I certainly felt that with writing The Stylist, the first book, that actually it didn't really matter if it never got published because I just felt like I, there was a novel in me and I wanted to get one out. And I wrote the whole book before it got picked up by any publisher so I was really happy to have done that. So I think first and foremost, I just love doing it. Um, but I probably am maybe more aware of the business side because I'm responsible for, um, you know, creating a magazine that sells well at Hello. And that's a big part of how I'm judged. You know, the sales figures are very important. So I have to know who my audience is and I have to know that we're pitching it correctly. And if 
one issue doesn't do so well, then I have to really look at the reasons why it didn't and tweak it. So, yeah, so perhaps I am sort of interested in that. But I'm I'm not so, I mean, I, I don't kind of hang off knowing where the book is on any Amazon charts or having to know every week from my editor how many copies it's sold and stuff. I'm just thrilled that it's out there in the world because I love writing it. And if people get the same enjoyment from reading it as I had from writing it, then that's amazing. Talking about the fact that you know, like the, the tone and you know the language that you're writing with. Um, and, and also because your hand is forced in the time that you actually have available to write. Uh, do, does that mean you think more about each individual word than perhaps others do because you can't afford to overwrite as much as some writers can? Mm. Yeah, I think I tend not to sort of overwrite too much. And again, perhaps that's being a, an experienced journalist that you know, I'm used to writing to a certain word count and writing in a quite a tight manner, I suppose. So often, yeah, my books haven't needed a huge amount of editing in that sort of sense. I mean, I'll, I'll, I like to sort of discuss the plot thoroughly with the editor and we'll do lots of um, changes. It perhaps in that sense, Justine Friend certainly went through quite a few sort of twists and turns in the in the process of coming up with finalising the plot. But in terms of the actual editing of the writing, I think it's fairly well edited. I suppose I'm an editor, aren't I? So <laughs> um, I'm used to kind of, yeah, writing in that manner. Um, but yeah, I just suppose I don't have the luxury of the time to overwrite and go over things um, too much um, because it's just sort of not not possible, really. Um, it might be different, yeah, I suppose if I was a full-time writer. I think, though, if I was a full-time writer, I'd probably be churning out books a lot more quickly rather than taking longer to write them. You said earlier about how you tried your hand at a sci-fi book, then you found your um, you found your kind of niche with The Stylist, um, which I think was it was kind of billed as Bridget, uh, Bridget Jones's Diary meets... Uh, Devil Wears Prada, yeah. Yeah, Devil Wears Prada. And, and now this one, Just Between Friends is kind of more of a gear change really kind of a slight genre switch uh even, even though you are folk you do focus on the business as, as you just said are you are you up for in the future changing genres a lot more to just see what you're capable of as a writer um well it was great to write this as my third book yeah to show that I couldn't just write the stylist style book and HQ yeah um the imprint at HarperCollins who I'm with have been great at really encouraging me to become an author rather than a sort of I only write amber green stylist kind of books um so they wanted to show an audience yeah that of what more I could do which was really great to have that sort of confidence from them um and I've really enjoyed this book and I've quite liked going slightly darker and a bit more of a thriller edge uh that might be something that I could sort of expand on in the future I can never I mean I'm quite a um um sort of I, I write with a lot of humor I, I like humor um when I write and enjoy that sort of light-hearted escapism I don't think I'm going to be writing a, a novel that goes too dark or is we have been involves kind of murders and things like that I just don't think it's really me um but certainly the slightly more of a thriller feel has been really good yeah I love all the the cliffhangers at the end of most chapters and I really sort of upped the suspense in this book well just lastly um did you to write a thriller to do up the suspense to uh leave cliffhangers how much thought did you give to like the standard tropes of the genre that you kind of need to do. So those cliffhangers, so maybe a red herring every now and then. How much thought did you give to that? Mm, I certainly wanted the book to be pitched in a slightly different way. So, I mean, it, whilst it's still women's sort of contemporary fiction, it's definitely um, people talk about twists in it and there being suspense. So, and I really enjoyed that as a writer, you know, upping the suspense and laying the seeds of what might be going on and then throwing in a twist um, or or kind of, you know, needing a device to cause a bit of a um, sort of feeling of suspense. Um, you know, there's a bit where you think one of the babies might have 
gone missing um she can't find the baby in the nursery and I just came up with that idea because I needed something to happen that would sort of bang kind of change um the dynamics for the day for the girl and it was really great putting something like that in and um, that's really quite shocking and almost comes out of nowhere and I loved writing that um so yeah I certainly felt found, felt it was challenging me as a writer and really really enjoyed it and it was it's good to go outside of your comfort zone I think and I think that can bring out the best writing in you and that is it for the very first writer's routine of a brand new year uh, thank you to Rosie Nixon for coming on the show. You can get a copy of her brand new book, Just Between Friends, in the show description and over at writersroutine.com. Uh, get in touch with us over on the contact page. Let us know what you thought about this episode. Uh, and you can also read the first half of a brand new blog post that I've just stuck up there. Blog post, like it's 2004. Anyway, I just put it on the website. Uh, it's all about the 20 books that I read in 2020, which might not sound a lot to you, but honestly, I'm a terrifically slow reader. Uh, So it was quite a feat, actually, and I read all genres, read widely. It turns out not widely enough, though. Looking back, reviewing everything I read, it it made me realise something about who I tend to read that I absolutely need to work on this year. Uh, You can look into that more by reading the post. I've just popped it up at writersroutine.com. Now, thank you to the Script Sirens for sponsoring the show. Their new Siren Screams audio series is out now on Spotify, Acast and Google Podcasts brand new horror audio dramas for you all written by some fantastic female and non-binary writers from the west midlands here in the uk go and take a listen now please and i will see you next week uh, with emily shorts on the show talking about her brand new book little threats on writer's routine i'll see you then bye Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm-hmm.